Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, November 3rd. In today's news, governors ready the National Guard for potential post-election unrest. Another top Trump advisor bluntly contradicts the president on the coronavirus, and the world is watching us closely today. But first, the big idea. At least 98.9 million Americans have already cast their ballots before Election Day. It's an astonishing figure, equal to about 70% of the total turnout from four years ago. And it leaves election officials and both presidential campaigns wondering how heavy voting traffic will be today. At least three states have exceeded their total 2016 turnout with early and mail voting this year. Texas, Hawaii, and Montana. Other states have seen lower turnout that could foretell heavier Election Day traffic. Among battlegrounds, Pennsylvania reached only about 40 percent of its 2016 levels in the early vote. Ohio hit 60 percent, and Michigan was also at 60 percent. But fresh signs Monday suggested that turnout was picking up in Michigan as voters seeking to drop off their absentee ballots in person formed two-hour lines in Detroit and other big cities. Elsewhere, election officials who encountered huge numbers of voters in the past several weeks said they're not sure what to expect on Tuesday. In Georgia, almost 4 million people already voted as of last night, edging close to the 4.2 million who turned out in all of 2016. Joe Biden's campaign team said they expect President Trump to falsely declare victory tonight, before the tabulation of all mailed-in ballots. Trump campaign advisors argue that Democrats are attempting to play down votes cast in person on Tuesday, which Trump's expected to win. The president suggested without proof at all of his rallies on Monday that late-arriving ballots could lead to chaos and fraud, calling the circumstance of an unknown election result, quote, physically dangerous. The Biden campaign arranged a call with reporters to argue that the nature of the electoral map and the schedule, which is dictated by statutes for when ballots are counted in key states, means it is impossible for Trump to be able to declare a legitimate victory tonight. Democrats express confidence that they now find themselves in, at a minimum, a much better position than four years ago. But one continuing point of concern for the Biden campaign is his narrow advantage relatively among black and Hispanic voters compared to Hillary Clinton's. The Trump campaign put out a news release yesterday boasting of the campaign's recent conversations with the rappers Lil Wayne and Ice Cube, as well as the president's support that he received from the rapper 50 Cent. In Florida, Democrats admitted concern about early voting numbers in Miami, traditionally a Democratic stronghold. Former New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg, who's committed to at least $100 million of spending in the Sunshine State, added another 500 k over the weekend to spend money on ads in that city's market featuring Barack Obama praising Biden aimed at minority men. But as Bloomberg was doing that down south, the focus of the candidates themselves largely has shifted northward. After a visit to North Carolina that had been canceled last week because of the weather, Trump appeared in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Biden started the day in Cleveland, Ohio, before holding two events in Pennsylvania, where he will return again today for two more stops. No state is more important in the Electoral College map for both sides than Pennsylvania, because the polls there are measurably tighter than in Nevada, New Hampshire, Wisconsin, or Michigan, the other battlegrounds that could, often in combination, give Trump a win if he holds the Sun Belt. A final NBC Marist poll shows Biden ahead by five points in Pennsylvania, but that's within the poll's margin of error. The candidates are tied in Arizona at 48 percent in the NBC poll, 
And Biden leads Trump by five points in Florida and four points in Ohio, according to the final Quinnipiac University poll, although strategists from both parties on the ground expect those states to be tighter. If Trump posts early losses tonight in southern states, especially Florida or Texas, the contest could be called pretty early in Biden's favor. But if Trump holds, the result could come down to states that will probably require more time to count. Pennsylvania is attempting a large vote-by-mail effort for the first time and won't even start counting ballots until Tuesday because it's not allowed. Democrats emphasize that delays in getting results are routine, particularly in high-turnout elections, and that that's not the result of any kind of failure. Michael Shearer reports that election results in Wisconsin probably will not be known until at the earliest tomorrow morning, when Milwaukee, the state's largest city and a Democratic stronghold, is expected to complete its count of about 175,000 absentee ballots. In North Carolina, Attorney General Josh Stein, a Democrat, told reporters yesterday that state officials expect as many as 97 percent of votes will be counted on Tuesday night. Still, he noted, if the election is close, 97 percent might not be enough to know the winner. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this election day. Number one, Massachusetts Governor Charlie Baker, a Republican, alerted up to a thousand members of the National Guard on Monday to be ready to provide assistance to state and local law enforcement should the need arise. In Oregon, Governor Kate Brown, a Democrat, ordered a state of emergency for the Portland area through Wednesday and put an unspecified number of guardsmen with relevant law enforcement type training on standby in case they're needed. National Guard members have already been tapped for election-related duty across the country, including preventing cyber intrusions and preparing to assist as unarmed poll workers in civilian clothing. Alex Horton reports from the Pentagon that the National Guard Bureau has created a 600-soldier quick response unit of mostly military police split up between Alabama and Arizona. They're prepared to mobilize in other states or to quickly deploy here to Washington. The movements and presence of National Guard troops have unnerved residents. Social media posts showed chilling videos yesterday of convoys of Illinois National Guard Humvees streaming into Chicago, even as the Guard refused to confirm the deployment. In Philadelphia, soldiers from the Pennsylvania National Guard were mobilized after the police killing last week of Walter Wallace Jr. triggered waves of protest. And the Justice Department yesterday called up 100 guards from the Bureau of Prisons, as well as U.S. Marshals, to mobilize in the streets of D.C. if there's any election-related unrest. Georgia's Fulton County, which is home to Atlanta, announced that it's sending police officers to every polling site to preserve order. Fearing riots, retailers across America have boarded up windows and hired extra security. On Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills, Ferragamo, Prada, and Dolce & Gabbana are boarded up. A number of stores along the Magnificent Mile in Chicago are boarded up. In urban areas across the country, Saks Fifth Avenue and CVS boarded up all their store windows and added extra security. Neiman Marcus is closing all of its stores today at 5 p.m. because of concerns about violence. Walmart last week removed all guns and ammunition from thousands of store displays. Commercial security companies and contractors say they're fielding round-the-clock calls from business owners who are panicking about protests. Number two. A top White House coronavirus advisor sounded alarms yesterday about a new and deadly phase in the health crisis, pleading with top administration officials, including the president, for much more aggressive action, even as Trump himself continued to assure rally-goers on the stump that the nation has rounded the turn on the pandemic. Debbie Burks, coordinator of the White House task force, said this isn't about lockdowns. It hasn't been about lockdowns since March or April. 
She says it's about having a balanced, aggressive approach that is not being implemented. An internal memo that she wrote, which was shared with top White House officials and agency officials and obtained by Lena Sun, contradicts Trump on numerous points. While the president holds large campaign events with hundreds or thousands of attendees, most not wearing masks, she explicitly warns against that. While the president blames rising cases on more testing, she says testing is actually flat or declining in areas where cases are rising. And while Trump says the country's rounded the turn, Burks notes that the country is entering its most dangerous period yet and will see more than 100,000 new cases a day through this week. In Utah, overwhelmed hospitals have started placing adult COVID patients in pediatric beds because they're out of room. States are rolling back reopening plans and reestablishing restrictions from Connecticut and Massachusetts to Illinois. Other health experts in the government, including Tony Fauci, have warned of record surges in cases and hospitalizations as the U.S. passes 230,000 deaths. But Burks's daily missives go further, revealing just how much the administration's internal projections are in direct conflict with Trump's public pronouncements that downplay the seriousness of the plague. They also speak to the increasing desperation of health officials on the inside to spotlight the risks of the pandemic that's forecast to take tens of thousands of more lives as the weather worsens, unless people change their behavior. Some officials at this point, frankly, are also concerned about recouping their reputations that have been shattered for a post-Trump era. The increasingly dire tone of Burks's reports has gotten little traction, according to an administration official who works with her and says that she, quote, feels like she's being ignored. Burks is supposedly close to Vice President Pence, but according to a senior administration official, the vice president has been on the road campaigning in recent weeks and has not been paying attention to the coronavirus and has otherwise been unavailable. Trump tonight plans to hold a large indoor gathering in the White House for up to 400 guests to watch the election returns. Only a few weeks after the White House event to announce his Supreme Court nominee became a super spreader event. Number three. Friend and foe alike across the world are watching our election today closely with anxiety and hope. Biden has promised if he wins to restore a traditional strategy to foreign policy. He said that one of his first acts as president would be to get on the phone with the heads of every country and say, quote, America's back and you can count on us again. A mood of cautious expectation drapes over the Asia-Pacific region, which has been heavily shaped the last two years by the Trump administration's all-out confrontation with China. In Israel, observers say a Biden win, after four years of close partnership between Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu, could accelerate the end of the current compromise government in Jerusalem and lead to elections in a matter of months. For other world leaders, the Trump years have proved to be a window of opportunity, particularly for like-minded right-wing nationalists. Several politicians like that have already expressed their public hope that Trump gets reelected, including the leaders of Hungary, Brazil, the Philippines, and Slovenia. But it's not just foreign leaders who are paying close attention to what happens tonight. A lot of people have a lot riding on the outcome. Let me close today by telling you about a woman named Noyemi. Two years, six months, and four days ago, a Border Patrol officer in Roma, Texas, took her sleeping three-year-old baby from her arms. She's not held him since. The boy, Harbin, is almost six now. He's in Houston. She's in Mexico. That's where Kevin Seif found her on the run from their native Honduras and trying to get him back. They are among an unknown number of migrant parents and children who were separated under Trump's zero-tolerance immigration policy 
who have not been reunited. The number is at least 545, but probably far higher. Biden has pledged to create a task force to reunite these still-separated families. Americans across the political spectrum have imbued this week's election with almost existential importance. But for some non-citizens, like Noemi and Harbin, the impact might be more direct. One candidate's policy led to their separation. Another is promising to reunify them. That's all the 26-year-old Noemi knows about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. She's still teaching herself how to pronounce those two names. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, November 3rd. Thanks for listening. I wanted to give you a heads up about a new project from The Washington Post. Beginning this week through two weeks following election night, you'll hear something new before each episode of The Daily 202's Big Idea. We're delivering election results to you based on what state you're listening from. You'll get to hear results in key races, your congressional district, U.S. Senate race, and the result in the presidential race. We're serving these updates to you using advanced voice technology. You'll hear results from our Washington Post AI voice, Claire. Say hi, Claire. Hi, podcast listeners. Stay tuned to Washington Post podcasts during election week for 2020 election results delivered to you wherever you listen. Stay tuned to the Washington Post for election results, reporting, analysis, and much, much more. I'm James Holman. Don't forget to vote. I'll talk to you tomorrow.